Quick question for you. Hey, let me ask you something. Can I ask you a question? Can you dig it? Yes, guy. Can you dig it? Yes, guy. The man with the words you've been dying to hear. Yes, guy. This is the Yes Guy Show with Jim Taddy on TSN 1050. Can you dig it? Oh, Yes Guy. It's that time of the week again. Welcome aboard episode number 73 of Yes Guy on TSN 1050. Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you. Perry, how are you this week, sir? Doing great, Jim. How about yourself? Pretty good and amped for our show today. We've got a nice cross-section of individuals here to chat with. Uh, Charles Park from Real Estate will be by very shortly. Nick Campbell, veteran Canadian actor, will stop by. And Hurst Borenstein from Frozen Pond. That's a sports merchandise memorabilia outlet in Vaughan. So we'll sort of get a read on, on that market as well. And, of course, the obligatory ending, Yes Guy, No Guy. In the meantime, introducing Fox 40's new premium whistle, the Fox 40 Titan. In a sleek titanium body, the Titan emulates the authentic sound of the Fox 40 Classic. Available now in titanium, gold, or matte black. Go to fox40shop.com for that. And looking for an experienced real estate agent, Charles Park Managing Broker, Remax West Realty Brokerage, has 27 27 award-winning years of real estate experience. So looking for the highest level of knowledge, experience, and service, put Charles Park in your corner. Visit charlespark.ca or call or text him at 647-292-8886. Servicing from Hamilton to Kingston, from Toronto to Muskoka, Charles Park will not be outworked by anybody. That's 27 award-winning years of real estate experience, and he's giving us some time now. Charles, welcome. How are you? I am great today, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure to have you on. So, I I mean, the the obvious question right off the top, give give us a market update. What kind of a market are we in now? Well, uh, since I was last on your show, I know that it, it shocked a few of your listeners to hear that, that there was a shift in our marketplace. I do want to qualify that with uh, a few statistics. Our, our, our transactions are down, uh, but there, you know, there's obviously reasons for that. I think there's still a lack of inventory out there, which is why average price is remaining high. So we touched an average price of $1.3 million in the greater Toronto area just recently it is an extraordinary number to consider but considering that things are softening a little bit the month over month average pricing is not accelerating as it used to and uh, we're actually starting to see out there and i can tell you this from the ground level uh the the multiple offers are subsiding which is good news for buyers well one thing i wanted to ask you about is it seems every time we get into this situation the government decides to get involved and they're putting taxes on or something to reduce that excitement we're also dealing with inflation right now so should we be concerned about government getting involved in in the free market i just spoke to my agents about this yesterday as you know the provincial budget was released yesterday you know their their perspective is to uh you know always address affordability we've been telling them for years now that if you want to address affordability you got to address uh inventory and because there's just not enough to buy out there right now uh that's why you're seeing affordability decline so, you know, until they've addressed this, and, you know, it, it, it takes a concerted effort at all levels of government, the federal, the provincial, and the municipal governments all have to get together and roll in the same direction. But we're just not seeing that at this point. Yeah, I mean, the core issue is supply, right? I mean, you can go through any equation you want. If the supply is, is what it should be, that alters the price. That makes it more accessible. So, and again, you, you know, you're talking about all levels of government participating in this. I mean, how realistic is, is it that they could solve the supply problem? Well, 
Jim, I think you came from a family of builders a, a while ago. How how quickly can you build a house? Yeah. Well, you got to buy the land overnight. first, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. crazy, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. promise to build the 10 million homes in the next 10 years, I don't know. These, these, these are, pro- you, know, you know, that's countrywide, though. Like, I think at the end of the day, people have to realize that there's, it's going to take time for, for this, you know, uh, predicament to, to solve itself. Now, we have seen, you know, uh, inventory rise on our, you know, multiple listing service. Because I think a lot of people, when they saw, uh, you know, that the market was pivoting, uh, a lot of them were trying to cash out, were trying to capitalize on the high prices that are out there. And as such, we saw a little bit more inventory. We saw more choice for buyers. Uh, I can tell you, I've got agents calling me that have, you know, have held offer presentation dates and had no offer show up or one offer show up. So we know that this in this tumultuous environment, you know, in, in, in this shift, you're going to get that. But at the same time, I can personally testify. I had buyers just recently. I went in and I lost offers in a multiple offer situation, as well as you know, uh, gone into an offer situation and recently just bought a, a condo for you know a client for below asking for the first time, and I don't know how long. So I wanted to ask you a question. It's a little off, a little off what we're talking about right now. But you're talking about supply of houses, but we're dealing with an overall supply issue. So even if builders wanted to build. They don't necessarily have the supplies at hand. So how does that factor into what's going to happen in years from now? You know, uh, there's something called exclusionary zoning that exists at the municipal level here. And, you know, as you know, some of the hottest uh, neighborhoods have low density housing. And and we're talking about accessibility to transportation. So anything along, let's say, a TTC uh, subway line or rapid transit line. So uh, until that is addressed, how like people want to live not everybody wants to you know have a car but if you don't you know have a car then you got to live to infrastructure that will allow you to commute effectively so how do we do that well we need to increase density so in these low density uh, pockets where you can't build high density what are the builders what options are, are builders given i've got uh, clients who are commercial clients who are builders themselves they build you know apartment buildings and they build uh, condominiums and they'll build on as little as a 100 by 100 piece of land as long as it's in a good area but they can't find it yeah i mean you know you, you just uh, sort of touched on uh, uh, you know we talked about that equation of how long does it take to build a house well the, you know the, the the supply system for a builder is you got to buy the land first and then you have to have the, the you know the, the supplies come in to, to actually put the house together uh, that equation was a lot simpler years ago i mean clearly there isn't as much land is there used to be and i remember that you know when i worked with you the very first time i worked with you we were talking about york region and york region has had just marvelous building over the years but that land was bought and sold by builders years before so how right. do you, like how does this are we let's sort of too far down the the equation to solve this uh, what are your feelings on that so we <laughs> that's a great question and 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 i wish i had an answer to that i think uh, only the people that uh, you know are in possession of the developable lands uh, can really uh, you know comment towards that. Uh, I would like to see you know obviously the government is making all concerted efforts to make the the red tape from acquiring the land to getting the permits and to actually start putting shovels in the ground. Uh, they want they want to shorten that process. Right now, it's just taking way too long. So I applaud them for that effort. However, it's not going to come anytime soon. And sometimes government can develop policies that are just a little bit, you know, too little, too late. Like uh, I just had an agent call me the other day, and, and she was complaining about how uh, a, a foreign national who has 
uh, a, a student uh, here in the GTA wanting to go to school for the next four years. They're well off. They wanted to buy her a condo. And then, you know, the alarm bells went up saying, well, you're not, you know, you're not, a, you're a non-resident. Uh, there is a speculation tax of 20 percent. Uh, but you better get in now because guess what? The federal government's already announced that they're going to put a two-year ban on foreign buyers. I know it's going to have a minimal effect on our inv- on our market, but you know, still, it, it is having an effect, and it does the you know create question marks as to how the government is getting involved in in, in creating this uh, this this, ter- this turmoil, and what what real effect is it really going to have in the marketplace? Well, time will only tell. I just saw a report the other day about something called stacked housing, which looks like a combination of condo and a townhouse. When did this whole thing come up, and is this could this be a, a pattern of things to come? There are so many new products being discussed right now, Perry. Uh, you know, years ago, it was the parcels of tied land where you had a freehold, uh, you know, uh, townhouse on a condominium land development. Uh, this is just another element, another, another asset class. Uh, right now, uh, I have a friend who's marketing. Um, it's almost like a timeshare type of concept. Uh, you know, it's, it's called key living. And what you do is you, you, you own, yes, you, ha- you have exclusionary rights uh, to a condominium unit. Uh, which is basically a share, and you can sell that uh, whenever you want and divest, and then you can take those shares and you can apply them to another uh, uh, type of asset. It's just it's, there's so many new things coming out right now because everyone's trying to address the same thing, affordability. And how do you make things more affordable? So in terms of, uh, you know, you're talking about some changes there. Where are we at open bidding? Ah, great, great question. We could almost talk about this forever, but uh, I will tell you this. Um, this is obviously uh, something that was initiated uh, years ago when there, there was that CBC, um, uh, you know, article on, uh, you know, they were comparing our market to the Australian market. And the Australian market, you know, allows open bidding, which is basically an auction style uh, bidding process. So everybody can, uh, knows what everybody else is offering on a particular property. There are pros and cons to this, but I will tell you from the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board perspective, as well as from the Ontario uh, Real Estate Association's perspective, we like to give the consumers choice. Now, the provisions for open bidding has already been written into the Trusted Real Estate uh, uh, Services Act. So we know that, there, that, that, that that will become available. It's, it's inevitable. However, we, deal, we, we will continue to offer sellers a choice right, of a closed bidding process. And as long as there's choice given, then we will have no problem introducing the open bidding process should a seller decide to utilize that as their best uh, methodology to get what they want uh, in the sale of their home. Tell me about the idea of rent to buy. And if people want to rent a house with the, the thought of wanting to buy it, do they have protection if the owner decides he just wants to sell it anyway and they're kind of out of luck? Well, when we're talking about protection, there's several different types of protection. Like, for example, in uh, I believe in Vancouver and BC, uh, they're, 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 they, there's a proposal to actually create a mandatory cooling off period uh, for a purchaser whenever buying real estate. Because, you know, in a hot market, as you know, it's very difficult to put in protectionary clauses like, you know, condition on financing, condition on inspection, and condition on status certificates for, for condominiums. So uh, people are kind of, you know, in a hot market are kind of pushed to take all those conditionals just to win the bid. Well, you know, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, you know, w- w- what kind of effect that would have on the marketplace. It would probably slow things down, but I don't think that it would actually uh, address, uh, you know, what we're talking about, and that's affordability. Okay, I'm gonna, this is a, a sort of a setup question, and I'm going to declare that. But, but, you know, you've gone into a lot of detail on various subjects. 
And what this tells me is this is the time to have a full service real estate representative. Am I right? Absolutely. You need to be talking to people that have the pulse of the, especially the local market. Uh, the particular product that you're selling, it will, you know, we can't just generalize and assume that uh, what happens in one marketplace can happen in another. Yes, you know, you know, listing low and selling high still exists. Uh, you know, I recently did something in the in the beaches area. Uh, that you know, it's a still a hot market. It's a very desirable community to live in. But as soon as you exit that area and you look at surrounding areas, uh, that's when. And I was showing those homes. Uh, that same methodology was not working. So you need to be in touch. Uh, you know, real time as to what is happening out there with your realtor. Uh, also, with all of these legislative changes, uh, you want to make sure that your real estate agent uh, is a full-time real estate practitioner, is up to speed with all the new legislation, and not giving you outdated advice. Charles, thanks very much. Always nice to chat with you, and, and thanks for stopping by, and your continued support is appreciated. Thank you, guys, and have a great day. Charles Park, ladies and gentlemen, if you are an experienced real estate agent looking for comprehensive value and a distinct advantage, contact Charles Park, managing broker, REMAX West Realty Brokerage, offering state-of-the-art technologies with exclusive coaching and mentoring. For a confidential interview, call Charles at 647-292-8886 or email charles at remaxwest.net. And from Fox 40, master your game strategy with Fox 40 coaching boards. Available for basketball, hockey, football, and more. Use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order. Go to fox40shop.com. This is YESGUY, the radio show on TSN 1050. This guy, the radio show, TSN 1050, Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 and visit his website, BraleyAdvisors.com as well. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most, financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Now, please have with us Canadian actor Nick Campbell. Nick, welcome. How are you, sir? Well, thanks for asking me. I'm terrific. I'm very excited about. What's that? I'm very excited about this May. You know, uh, the Derby and the Oaks. I think are one. Oh, you're into horse racing. Huh? Okay. Let's, well, take us down. Take us down that road. Well, who do you like? Well, I like Zandon. Now, Zandon is not going to offer much value, but I bet it like a month or two ago. So I'm going to win some serious money with this horse because he wasn't well regarded until his win last weekend. But I just think he has everything. And if, you know, I mean, a favorite in the Derby is not going to be that bad. You probably got two to one, five to two or something like that. Uh, I've got 25 to one, so I'm pretty excited. I don't usually bet anti-bet, but I had to this year because it's such a strong field. And I just think, you know, this is the year for that big jet black horse to just dominate for Chad Brown, who has yet to get a, a, a derby. And I think that's the one race he wants to win because he was Bobby Frank. He trained under Bobby Frankel, and that's the one race that eluded Bobby Frankel, who Perry will tell you is going to be one of the best trainers ever. Nick? I brought you on the show to talk about your career in acting, which is going to be 50 years next year. And you jumped the shark. You went right away to horse racing. So tell the people like <laughs> what it's like being an actor and some of the roles that you've done. 
Well, I've, I've been very lucky, and I think I made a good move by coming back to Canada, which is usually not the direction you want to go, especially for acting. But I got very lucky here with Chris Haddock out in B.C., getting cast in Da Vinci's Inquest. I mean, it was such a good show, and then we did City Hall as well when he became mayor. And uh, I just think it ruined me for anything else. I'm just, you know, not such a great guy to have around because my standards have been raised so high with that show that people get a little tired of my antics, right? But uh, that was such a great experience, and I can't imagine a better scenario than what I had there. Nick, take us back to the start. How did you get interested in this, and, and who were your influences? Well, I went to Queen's University. And I had a great teacher there called Fred Yeringer. I don't think he thought a lot of me, but it gave me the, the impetus to try it out because I did get cast in a couple of things there as a student. And in the summer times, I used to do a sort of semi-pro tent theater thing that really I had some great fun fun with. So me and a couple of guys from Kingston decided we'd go to England. And they used to do this BOAC show tours where you'd pay very little money and you get to see seven shows in six days. And it coincided with the auditions for the drama schools. So I went and auditioned for every school, and I got into every one but the one I wanted. So I did a one-year course when I was finished my degree there. And uh, then I auditioned for lots of stuff in England. I got a job right away at drama school. I went up to York Theatre Royal, where I was in the, <clears throat> in the daytime. we go into schools, and at night I was playing with the dead body and arsenic and old lace and stuff like that. But, wow, what a training ground. In those days, you, you couldn't do TV or you couldn't do West End plays until you had 40 weeks on your card. And I got 40 weeks, weeks the first job I had there. And then from there, I started playing American roles in, in American films, uh, some British ones too, <clears throat> until I got, uh, I got cast by uh, Lord Olivier in a production of... Um, Come Back to Sheba, which won Shirley Booth Hazel, uh, her only Oscar in 1952 or something, which is the year I was born. But in the cast with Sir with Olivier was um, Joanne Woodward, Carrie Fisher, and uh, who am I, who am I for leaving out? Uh, oh, Joanne Woodward. Did I say Joanne? Quite. Yeah. yeah. She played the Shirley Booth role. So that was something else, and you know he's my, he was my idol. I saw everything that he did there, while he still could do the stage. Uh, we, we used to get a discount to go into the old Vic, so I, I went every day of the week to see him in Long Day's Journey into Night, and it, it was a great time in my life. So I came back from England after that show, thinking I'd go down to LA and I'd start working in the American stuff, and. Um, it worked out. I got into a series right away. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to Canada because it really felt like things were happening up here. And, uh, you know, I, I think from there, I got, I got very lucky and I've had a very kind of stress-free life here as opposed to all my friends who live in L.A. So, Nick, I know that when it comes to handicapping, you have a method. But I need to know, are you a method actor? No. Well, you know, part of it. I mean, Olivier was so against the method. I used to laugh because I used to hear method and everything he told me, you know. I mean, we didn't get along well at first because he, he found me a little mouthy. But once we got up to Manchester, we had like about 15 weeks rehearsal for that because he was so 
so sick at that point, and he couldn't remember anything. So we had tons and tons of rehearsal, and I just stayed away from him. But when we got to Manchester, I got a phone call. I just put my suitcase down. The phone rings, and it's Sir on the phone. Would you like to come down to dinner tonight? I go, no, I can't possibly. I'm scared of him. I haven't got a tie, sir. He says, oh, I'll fix it, boy. So I went down there, and then I ate with him every night we were up there, which was about three weeks. So he filled my head with all kinds of great stuff. One particular thing he told me, he said, if you ever get asked to sight read, and I, I'm thinking, when have you been asked to sight read? But maybe when he's auditioning a play to, you know, to get the money or something. He says, don't look at the script. Listen like a mother. Just listen, and you'll know what to say. So I got in, I got a meeting with um, the director who did, uh, oh, what was it? A French Connection, Billy Freakin. And he was one of my idols too. So I got in there. I thought I was going in for the one role, like the killer, but he really wanted me for the lawyer. And I said, oh no. And so he says, you want to take a moment to look at it? And I thought, no, <laughs> I'm fine. He says, have you seen the script? Because it's under... Uh, you know, it's under wraps. Nobody can see the script. How did you see it? I didn't see it. I'm just, it's just a system I have. Well, he's rolling his eyes. Okay, let's go. <clears throat> and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. And I said, I believe it's your first line here, sir. So he comes out with the first line and that's heavy legalese stuff, right? It's right in the middle of the courtroom. But I listened and I came out with something and it was great. He stopped the reading, gave me the part right there and sent me home. So that was a, <laughs> a highlight of my life. I think a lot of people will ask the question, uh, you know, how much of you is in these characters? But I'm going to flip that around. When you play these roles, how much of how much of the role wears on? Like, do you sort of carry that with you? Well, quite a bit. You know, it works out, especially when you're doing a series. I mean, you don't realize it, but you know, you do so much to put yourself in in the character's shoes. Like, for example, on Da Vinci, I went out with the coroners there in Vancouver almost every night. And uh, right until the end of the show, I was still doing because they got addicted to it, <clears throat> the crime scenes and stuff. They stopped me going from the from the serious crimes, like a major crimes was called. I wasn't allowed to go anymore because I started throwing comments around and stuff like that. So I was banned from major crime scenes. But I saw tons of suicides and all this. It was just something else. I just like, I actually like cops and I like the guys that work for the coroner service. It was great fun for me and uh, almost as good as horse racing. Well, so I well, think eventually it wears off on your personality. And uh, the part was based on a real life character called Larry Campbell. And he was such a big, big personality. I could never think that I was as interesting as he was in real life. But he certainly rubbed off on me a lot, and especially fit that role. Well, Nick, you, you threw out Lawrence Olivier like nothing, so we'll just say, when you go, I'm going to turn it to horse racing now. When you go to the track, do you not yeah. see so many characters there that, that in and of itself, that could be like a series just about horses? Well, yeah. I mean, that's my dream. I, I've got about eight or nine unfinished or finished, unproduced scripts around all about the racetrack. Yeah, I, I especially like the backside. It's really like a circus or something. And every track you go to, the, uh, you know, behind the scenes and, and, and the other side over by the barns and everything, all the individuals are very similar. It's 
kind of like on a movie set. You know, sound guys are very much like all the other sound guys, et cetera, right? And uh, so the types are very evident, and people are very friendly, and, you know, it was it's just incredible. On the other side, on the front side, I try to ignore all the people out there. But, yeah, there's definitely some characters, and Perry will tell you that. So you go to the racetrack. Do people recognize you? I mean, when you're on TV enough as you've been, certainly some people must stop you and go, I know you were. Weren't you on the series, that type of thing? Yeah, I get it every day. And I don't look good right now. I've got hair down to my shoulders, white, and I put on a few pounds and everything, and I still get it every day. But I like it. At the track, nobody really bothers you. Not in Canada, anyway. But if you, if you do, I, we had a, a strong horse racing influence on our show. It was partly me, but it was mostly Chris. And he took advantage of my knowledge there and everything like that. So he added themes and, and episodes about the backside. And then when we did City Hall, it was pretty much all about trying to get the slots in the Hastings race course to keep it alive. So that was a major theme of that show. It was fantastic. So when I went back down to L.A. again, everybody like knew me better because I was on a racetrack, uh, racetrack type of show, which was hard to get in films and TV back then. Well, still is. You know, it's very, very few shows like that. <clears throat> you know, when I pitch my ideas for making a movie about the racetrack, it's like I farted or something. They just stopped listening almost immediately, you know. That's very frustrating, and I don't think there's anything more interesting or anything that's more filled with drama than the stuff goes on, even in microcosms at the track and, you know, in the big picture, too. So All right, Nick, I'm going to throw out the name of a horse people are going to want to know about Messier. It's a horse that's Canadian-bred by the late Ernie Sandville Samson Farm. What kind of a shot do you give this horse? Which horse is that? Messier. Oh, Messier, he's got a shot. His last race was terrible. I don't know what happened to him. He got, he got caught by another one of the entry of uh, sort of ex-Bafford horses. And I, I thought he really slowed down badly in this race. But, you know, most of the experts have been just taking a, a survey around YouTube today to see what people are saying. And Messier still figures strongly in their recommendations. For me, I'm not going to put a dime on him, but I won't be surprised if he wins. I'd love to see him win because he comes from a Canadian house up here, but I just don't know. No, I, I Nick, love. What was uh, your on the way of? What, what value, was your I, I like derby pick? I a couple pick. of horses from Todd Pletcher this year. Uh, it's not a race where he's really connected either, but he has two in there that I really like, which are good, which are good prices. Mo Donegal, who is not a Gulfstream type of horse, uh, he was a long price in in the the preamble, but now he's going to be about 10 to 1. And I like another horse he's got called Charge It. And I think he's got a shot. So I bet both of those horses, too, already anti-post. Nick, well, you're a fine well, man. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick. Really appreciate it. Nice to chat with you. Oh, that's really kind of you to ask me to do it. It's my dream to do any horse racing shows that we got here. You've got a good one. So thanks a lot, eh? Yeah, thank you, Nick. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 
888-888-3055 or visit his website, braleyadvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Stay safe and stay heard with the Fox 40 electronic whistle. Producing 100 decibels at the push of a button, the electronic whistle is perfect to bring along for any outdoor activity. And don't forget to use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order. This is YESGUY, the radio show on TSN 1050. Yes, guy, the radio show, Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you. Homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG SafeBridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean or give him a call at 416-885-1761. Our next guest, Hirsch Borenstein from Frozen Pond. Hirsch, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, tell us about Frozen Pond. Well, uh, we started in 1993. We uh, do promotions with professional hockey players and then market autographed hockey memorabilia. So we have a uh, great business um, hanging out with hockey players and then selling their uh, autographs after the fact. Hirsch, I'm a longtime fan of yours. Love what you do. Do you feel like a kid in a candy store every day? Often, yes. Uh, I remember back in uh, 2002, there was a 1972 Team Canada reunion, and I got to spend I got to spend three days with the entire team, uh, hearing the stories, um, getting autographs, and they they all liked me because I give them money. So uh, they all gave me their like phone numbers and the contact information, and after that, it was like, wow, like what a great weekend and. We've had we've had several things like that, but it's it's a fun job. I I have to admit that. And you can call me Herb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, Hirsch. I mean, you're you're around the you know the best hockey players that, that ever were, and we lost two recently, Mike Bossy and Guy Lafleur. You must have memories of both of them. Yeah, I, I did know them both really well. Uh, Guy's Guy's son reached out to us about two or three months ago, uh, Martin Lafleur, and said, you know, do, do you want to uh, do a, an autograph signing with my father? He's he's bored. He's sitting around at home. He's not healthy. And, uh, you know, he'd love to he'd love to do something. And I was like, absolutely. And um, we kind of knew it could be his last one. And so we advertised it and we got all kinds of orders and I bought all kinds of stuff to get signed. And then about, I'd say, three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, uh, Martin wrote us and said, you know, I'm going to have to cancel this signing. Uh, my father's health took a turn for the worst, and and I felt terrible. But, you know, I wrote him very nicely and said, you know, is there any way I can send you some stuff? Um, and maybe if he has a good day, he can try and sign it. You know, I'm just trying to keep his fans happy. And um, he wrote back like a few days later and said, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, I, I kind of knew that the end was coming and and I felt terrible because I've known Guy since about 1995 and he's a good guy we we always got along and um and you know I kind of miss him you know Hirsch when somebody famous you know passes away in the sports industry the music industry there's usually like a run on, on their merchandise but how do you as as someone who sells merchandise balance between 
being respectful to somebody who's just passed away versus the demand for their product? We do not capitalize on death. It's a policy I've always had in place. I, I've always said whenever someone dies, we will sell everything we have in stock at the existent price until I run out and I need to buy more at a higher price. Then we'll raise it. And it disgusts me when other companies, um, when Roy Halliday died, another company took everything off their website and went up a few hours later at like three or four times the price, charging like, you know, $1,500 for a baseball and stuff. And I, I, I was just disgusted by that. So just to, like you said, it's respectful. We, we, we sold a ton of Gila Fleur in the last week, obviously. Um, and it, we, we're still at the same price. And uh, like I said, until until I run out, we're going to stay at the same price. Well, uh, you know, you're you're always moving forward. So, what are you working on now? Like, what can you promote over the next week or so? Oh, what, what am I working on now? We have autograph sessions coming up with uh, Scotty Bowman and Alex Del Vecchio and Lloyd Mosby. Um, I have the Niagara Falls Comic Con next month. So I, I said, you know, I hang out with hockey players. That that was a bit of a a bit of a simple answer. We 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 do all sports really, and uh, for the last ten years, I've been doing um, entertainment celebrities also um, through Comic Con. So last weekend we were in Calgary with with John Cleese and the uh, Hobbits from Lord of the Rings and Brendan Fraser. Um, I, I kind of enjoy that because you know I sort of met most of the big name hockey players. So meeting entertainers, you know Michael J. Fox and and Chuck Norris and uh, Neil Patrick Harris. And that, that stuff's been really cool for me. You know, because of the pandemic, businesses such as yourself haven't been able to go out there and give the people what they want, which is personalities that sign autographs and stuff like that. So, you, you know, you must just feel really good about the fact that the pandemic has sort of settled down to the point where you can go out and do your job and see, you know, people being happy and excited about, you know, seeing their heroes. That is a, a, definitely a positive, but in reality, the pandemic has been phenomenal for the collectibles industry. So, you know, sports fans that were prepared to spend $20,000 a year on leaf season tickets, you know, there's whatever, 19,000 of those and Blue Jay, every Blue Jay game and every Raptor game and every other city, um, all that money saved on tickets we like to call sports dollars and people, people wanted to spend it somewhere. So the collectibles industry has just boomed and the pandemic has been really, really good for business, not just for me, but um, hockey card, baseball card companies and everything. It's um, it's been strong. So yes, it will be nice to start doing public events again, uh, but I can't complain at all about the pandemic. Hirsch, uh, where did all this start for you? Because I, I think I remember meeting you. Uh, you were um, uh, working with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, was it 2008, uh, Stanley Cup final that I met you. And, and so how did all this start for you? And, and like, what drove you to do this? Yeah, we got to hang out that entire series. Um, yeah. I used to collect, I used to collect ho uh, hockey cards as a kid, um, like most Canadian boys. Um, I was just a little more diehard. And when I was 13 years old, I bought a table at a uh, hockey card show in downtown Toronto, had my parents drive me there. And I set up and I 
I think I took in like three hundred dollars and which was like a million dollars for me at the time and it was it was great and then it just evolved from there i was i used to i was a hockey card dealer as a kid and when i I paid my way through university um selling selling sports cards and collectibles and then in nineteen ninety two um a friend of Pavel Bure's that um that i knew i knew pretty well said to me do you like roller coasters and i said yeah why he said pavel's coming to toronto for the rookie of the year or sorry for the nhl awards where he was up for rookie of the year and he said he wants to go on roller coasters and i'm scared of them will you take them and i said absolutely so i spent three days with pavel Bure. one day we went to canada's wonderland and we just spent all day riding roller coasters and I got him to sign some autographs for me while he was here. Um, I got him to sign 700. I paid him $4 each, $2,800. And then I put an ad in the Hockey News offering autograph pucks and photos for $14.99 each. And we sold out in three weeks. So I said, I could be onto something here. And we, I, I had a friend that knew Paul Coffey. I had another friend that knew Tretch Yak. And I put together autograph sessions with them. Um, I was uh, 24 years old at the time, and uh, that was the start. It just uh, all evolved from there. I put business school on hold and uh, never went back. Hirsch, if I had known the memor- sports memorabilia industry would take off, I would never have played shootsies with my cards. So did you know way back when that this actually may develop into an industry? Did not. I was big into shootsies and flipsies and all that. And actually, <laughs> actually, in in 1981, I found a uh, a card store in uh, by the beaches in Toronto, and I went in, took took the subway, and uh, went in and looked around and said, "Are you buying anything?" And the guy said, "Yeah, Gretzky rookies." Again, this was 1981. Gretzky's rookie year was 79, and I said, "What are you paying?" And he said, "A dollar each." So I went back to school the, the next day and said to everyone, if you have any Gretzky rookies, I'll pay you 50 cents each. And I got 13 of them. So I went back oh. to the store and got my 13 bucks and made $6.50. It was my first entrepreneurship. And it, luckily, condition wasn't as important back then. I'm sure some of them had ding corners and stuff, but it's it's not like when I was playing shootsies in the schoolyard when I was 10 that I was... Uh, putting Gretzky rookies into uh, card holders to keep them in. So. Hirsch, uh, two questions come out of that. While you were playing shootsies, were you ever the victim of a card scramble? <laughs> always. always. Yeah, that's, right? <laughs> that was always the, the complete ripoff. Was your, you had a nice pot brewing there, and somebody would throw three cards in and go card scramble, and, and a second later they were all gone. So yep. uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, so let me ask you this out of that. Um, the business, I mean, I think it still operates on the same principle. How has it changed over the years? Can you be more specific? Well, I mean, you started out one way with the business, and obviously it's been altered with what you can't do public appearances with COVID, but has the business itself changed, or is it exactly the same? Oh, it's definitely changed. Uh, three years in a row, uh, 2001, Kovalchuk, 2002, Nash, 2003, Flurry. They were all the first overall picks, and they were all basically mine exclusively because I was friends with their agent. So if you wanted to get autographs from them, those three years, the number one pick, you had to come through me, 
and I became, and I'm still very tight with Flurry, as you mentioned previously, and Rick Nash. Um, I just went down to Columbus for his uh, Jersey retirement last month. Um, but it used to be we had access to any player we wanted. And now with Fanatics being a multi-billion dollar company and basically taking over the industry, I've never even met Austin Matthews um, or most of today's young young players because they get signed to ridiculous exclusive deals before they've ever played a game. Like Upper Deck has Shane Wright, it's $1,000 for a jersey. Uh, it was like that with um, it was like that with McDavid before he ever played a game. It's like that with uh, Lafreniere. So the biggest change these days is I am not able to get to most of the hot young talent the way I used to. Hirsch, really appreciate your participation today. Thanks very much. Really appreciate nope. it. Nope, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Hirsch Bornstein from Frozen Pond. Homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG SafeBridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will help you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact him on Twitter at MTGDean or call him at 416-885-1761. Be prepared on the ice with the Fox 40 hockey products like the Fox 40 Call or the Fox 40 Super 4 CMG. Use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order. Fox40shop.com. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Yes Guy, no guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the officials and sanctioned edition of Yes Guy, No Guy in the Yes Guy radio show. Wow, that was easier done than said. But anyway, go ahead, sir. Someone should start an international shootsies competition. Shootsies, yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> Nobody would be interested because everybody wants the card to be in pristine shape, So, which is interesting because I, I am active in buying old cards. And sometimes you look at a card and you go, oh, really? It's in that kind of shape after 60 years? Hard to believe, but they're out there, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yes, guy to that. Yeah, yes, guy to that, although it won't happen. Yes, guy, no guy. The Raptors season is considered a success. Yes, guy. They played above their heads. They made a run of it. So, uh, yeah, definitely a yes guy. Yeah, go ahead, sir. Every time Alex Manoa pitches, it should be called the Manoa Showa. <laughs> no guy. Come on, guy. Needs... Give me that one. <laughs> I, I don't think he needs the shtick. He's, he's good enough on his own. <laughs> no guy. No, I have to say no to that. Um, yes guy, no guy. First round home ice will haunt the Leafs. No guy. I am totally buying in that the Leafs are going to win the first round of the playoffs. So that, to me, is yes guy, no guy. In your opinion, do the Leafs get by round one? Oh, absolutely, yes guy. I have no worries about that. It's not going to be easy, but they're going to get through. Yeah, okay, so here, here's another one. Yes guy, no guy. The Detroit Lions finally got their first round pick correct. Yes guy. They got a hometown guy, yeah. and he's not a receiver. Right away, it's a great pick. <laughs> they don't usually do that, but they did it. So congrats to them. Go ahead, sir. You would like to get a bro hug the kind of way that the commissioner of the NFL does every time the NFL draft is on. Uh, sure, guy. A new category. Sure, guy. Not, they're not exactly uh, wanting one, but uh, I could see the value. Okay, sure, guy. Uh, you know, let's end on this. Yes, guy, no, guy. Nick Campbell and Art Hindle separated at birth. 
Yes, guy. <laughs> Nick Campbell. Never been Larry, he mentioned Lawrence Olivier. That was the best part of the show. Yeah. Yes, guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to hope that everybody enjoyed episode 73 of Yes, Guy. I hope you come back next week for episode 74. And we'll end on this. Two words. Yes, guy.